in the last IPCC reports, the scientists concluded that methane is playing a bigger role than we realize in warming the planet. So we have to address methane mitigation as well as carbon dioxide mitigation. And mitigation just means reducing those emissions. So one way you can do that is capture it, combust it in, uh, in a generator and power some Bitcoin miners. What comes out of it is still CO2. You still have carbon dioxide entering the atmosphere. But in comparison in the short term, that is going to be a lot less uh, impactful. And what that means is that it can buy us a little more time for the energy transition and for bringing on direct air capture and other um, carbon capture systems, carbon capture storage systems, right? So the idea is let's let's buy ourselves some time. Let's be real about the situation that we're in. It's not the ideal situation where people are going to cooperate and governments are going to co cooperate and everybody's just going to do the right thing. It's not that's not what's happening. And we have to face that reality. So we have to do some things in the short term that will reduce those emissions and at least reduce the immediate impact of those emissions so that we have enough time to address them in a more permanent way. Hello guys, welcome once again to Bitcorner, the podcast for Bitcoiners from El Salvadorian to the world. Uh, today we have the great pleasure to talk to talk with uh, Margot pa Paiz. I'm yes, okay, <laughs> Margot yeah. Paiz. Okay, and uh, so we're going to talk a, a little bit about uh, herself, her background, uh, a little bit about Bitcoin, and also climate change and uh, because she's an expert of that <laughs> and on the impact of bit <laughs> and the impact of bitcoins um on bitcoin and the climate change so uh first of all uh, uh, thank you for being here thank you for your time welcome and uh, to start maybe we can for those that don't know you and can you talk a little bit about your background where are you from and uh, and we'll continue on that <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm Margot Margot Pais. I'm a fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute. I'm also a PhD candidate at Georgia Tech, and I am I'm from the United States. I'm from California originally. I was born there, raised there, and I'm here now. I'm involved in this whole Bitcoin space, working on the energy side, the environmental impact side of Bitcoin mining, trying to elevate the discourse and the research around the mining industry and how it works and what its potentials are and you know it's the pros and cons of it so yep that's what i do perfect perfect and uh so but um uh, maybe we can discuss a little bit uh about your career uh how how maybe uh a, a little bit about uh, what are your passions and then uh, why do you choose to study engineering? Well, uh, I first originally I studied physics and mm -hmm. uh, I 
the reason why I went into physics was because I thought that physics could give me all of the answers to the questions that I had about how things work totally agree. the universe. Yeah, mm -hmm. and how the universe works. So that's how I ended up being a scientist. And then I ended up in the civil engineering department because I was doing research in the physics department, but it wasn't satisfying. It was missing something. And I was starting to get really concerned about inaction, government inaction around climate change and was getting really involved with the demonstrations with Fridays for Future, Extinction Rebellion, even co-founded my own group to uh, do protests at the state capitol in Georgia. And so I changed my whole career trajectory research-wise and started working in a group uh, doing research on statistical-based climate modeling and mm -hmm climate impacts on water resources. So that's how I ended up being in the engineering department. But I also had a background in robotics uh, oh. and computer engineering. So, you know, I, I know a lot. Well, I don't want to say that I know a lot about hardware, but I built a lot of hardware in, in my past experiences and research. So I've always been a bit of a scientist engineer. And yeah, it's just a passion of mine since I was a child. Oh, that's awesome. I, I feel very related because, well, well, the guys, I think I already know that I'm also an engineer. So basically my oh, passion cool. was, was kind of the same thing because, well, I always felt um, a passion for mathematics because I think it's like another language. People don't see it like that, but actually yeah. I think yeah, it's, it's like, it's like an, another language, right? So I wasn't the best of it, but I, I was passionate about it. And that's why I studied engineering. And then uh, basically when the, in 2017, that's how I started to, uh, be because of my sister, I discovered Bitcoin and they, I, that was my rabbit hole uh, journey. So how was your story of your rabbit hole journey on Bitcoin? It, it was Maybe I think it was related with engineering or or, or not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so I knew about Bitcoin pretty early on, like, mm -hmm. you know, like probably around 2011 or so was when oh. I first heard about Bitcoin. And I still can't remember if it was the slash dot article about Bitcoin or if it was Julian Assange. It's, it's really mm. hard to, my my memory is like from that period is all really mushy <laughs> so <laughs> but i but i do clearly remember a new story about wikileaks deciding to use bitcoin because they were cut out of the financial system um, because the government put pressure on the credit card companies so that i distinctly remember and i and and somewhere in the early 2010s i even tried mining Bitcoin on my laptop, but I really didn't see the point of it. I was really interested in the internet of things at the time and mm -hmm. mesh networks. And so I was really more on the hardware side in terms of my interest and trying to learn more how to use microcontrollers and electronics and things like that and, and radio antennas. And so I'm a big nerd basically. <laughs> so I just didn't understand and appreciate it. It's like, okay, it's just another internet project, you know, internet money, who cares? I don't really know much about money anyway, other than I think not enough people. And I mean, I, other than I think there's a lot of people who don't have enough of it. So that was sort of 
you know, a barrier for me then. And then in 2018, that's when I started seeing content creators being the platform and even like an entire content creator platform itself being deplatformed because of political ideologies clashing and, and people basically censoring each other, weaponizing that, uh, you know, uh, the image of the credit card companies, like the, the payment processors like Stripe and PayPal, and using that to silence their opponents or people they didn't like. Mm -hmm. So that really bothered me. And I developed, I, I probe, you know, I coded up my own content creator platform and incorporated BTC pay server. And I would say at that po point was the moment in which I went down, I, you know, I entered the rabbit hole <laughs> really, because that was the moment where I was like very serious about having to understand how to use Bitcoin for payments and transactions and wallets and how, where do I get Bitcoin, you know? So yeah, that's when it all started. And then a little bit later, uh, a few years later, and I started thinking more about the ethical concerns around Bitcoin because I built this and got into, into to Bitcoin before I decided to completely rearrange my life and focus on climate change. Mm -hmm. So I had to take a moment and think about whether it was ethical for me to hold Bitcoin or to participate in the network in any way. And I had considered you know, switching out the payment processing to something like Algorand even. And, mm. and I, but I, I gave it a, sh a chance, you know, I went and I started reading and listening to the Bitcoin miners and, and understanding more about how they worked and understanding the, the, the protocol and the push towards very, very cheap electricity prices. And at, and around that time, there was a website called Carbon Brief. And they have just recently published a big study about renewable energy, in particular solar, being the cheapest source of electricity in the world. And then I realized, okay, so there's only one direction that this can go, really. It's going to have to go to like very cheap wasted energy, or it's going to have to figure out a way to integrate with renewables. So that's when I, I realized this is okay. This There really isn't an ethical problem here. There are some people who, some mining companies that are making poor choices right now, but the the structure of the network itself is going to push people, push miners in the right direction anyway. So in the in the long term, so that was when I started really taking an interest in the energy side and making a connection between Bitcoin and and climate activism and the financial system. And that that was really the end of it for me. That started uh, me on this incredible journey uh, where I ended up becoming a fellow and going on the What Bitcoin Did podcast and completely changed my life in, in very good ways, um, but also some traumatic ways too, but overall net positive. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think that that was your aha uh, moment or from the mining perspective that it wasn't that impactful or it, or do you have like several aha moments when you um said like this is legit this is completely different and even from shit coins or altcoin whatever you want to call it but uh, yeah uh, do, do you have several uh, aha moments 
Yeah, the first one obviously was around 2018 when I realized that there was actually a use case for Bitcoin, which was that we needed a monetary system or payment rails that existed outside of the existing system where there was no middleman or person who could arbitrarily kick you off of the network. To me, money is is an essential right, right? You and the ability to make money is a is a is a right in this in this economic system that we live in. If you can't make money, you're going to starve, right? Or you're going to be put into much more difficult situations. So people who make money online, they have much more freedom and control over their lives by producing whatever content interests them. And I think that's really empowering. And if you take that away by deplatforming them, um, you know, you're you're really putting that person at a disadvantage and, and even in danger. So that was my first aha moment was like, okay, this has value. This is this is something bigger than I than I realized. And then the second one, which was the real like, oh my gosh, aha moment was this realization that we could use Bitcoin as a vehicle for system change to get from the existing financial system that we have into a different one, whether it's, you know, hyper Bitcoinization, Bitcoin standard, whatever you imagine, or just as a tool to get us into a different situation uh, where we develop a different economic system. But the goal is to be able to take all of your capital, whether it's labor, you know, nature, whatever, money out of the existing system that is failing and putting it into a different one. And I, the only monetary system that I know of that is developed enough that exists in parallel and outside of our existing system is Bitcoin. It's the most successful. It's built on the right philosophy, you know. And so to me, that was when I realized that this was really important and I needed to get, I need to reach as many people in the climate movement as possible and, and write about Bitcoin from that perspective, because there were very few people writing about it at that time from that perspective. I think maybe nobody really was, except for me. Uh, I mean, a few people I think had sort of similar ideas, but I don't think anyone really contextualized it with as a as a tool for climate activists or or in action to fight in action on climate change. So now we have a lot of people who are getting involved, which is really exciting. A lot of environmentalists, but not yeah, enough. that was really <laughs> yeah, not enough. Um, but hopefully that'll change. But mm -hmm. yeah, it was that was really when I said I have to work on this somehow. Cool, cool. That, that's awesome, yeah. and. Uh, I've heard, I think, uh, in one the interview that you had, maybe it was, I think it was with Peter, Mac Peter McCormack, that you were talking, and and I think it's really important to discuss this, that I, I don't remember if he asked you or you mentioned that uh, you're more like a market person, but but uh, an anti-capitalism, anti how how yeah. this is related, or, or what do you mean by that? By that? <laughs> Yeah, so there's the there's a belief both on uh, in different opposing political ideologies that markets are an essential component of capitalism, and that markets are like from the left, you know, Marxist 
socialist perspective, like people often think that markets cannot be separated from the exploitation of capitalism. But actually, uh, there's a strain on the left who argue that actually markets themselves are really efficient tools. They can be used in a way that can support an egalitarian society and are not are not necessarily uh it's not necessarily a a system that is designed to be uh to 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 promote inequality or oppression Mm -hmm. or the unfair allocation of wealth towards a very very small group of people and so from that perspective they um they would call them like market anarchists or mutualists would argue that the part of the problem and this is going to be a, a familiar story that you you hear from libertarians which is that you know the markets themselves are manipulated the state involvement in the markets is the problem because they're picking the winners and the losers and they're manipulating the market structures and it's true i mean you'll you do see like states do set up markets and states do pick winners and losers through certain kinds of regulations and they they have they can have good intentions but they often lead to bad results that then end up creating these monopolies or oligopolies and and then these rich corporations then use the state to you know enforce that in in the markets themselves and distort them but it doesn't have to be that way so you can't excuse me you can identify ironically as a libertarian socialist and also think that markets have a place in certain aspects of society so that's that's really um how i how i feel about it and honestly you know i wasn't always that convinced about markets either but I think when I realized that there was there weren't too many options for us to do something about climate change without having to rely on the government, mm-hmm. I had to really think about markets in a different way because I realized that markets can be a bottom-up solution, right? They can be a, a form of direct action, which is, you know, like, you know, uh, on the left, direct action is really important. It's like you go out, you show up, you protest, you you do something that, you know, maybe makes it difficult for the system to operate the way it does. It's a really big uh, part of the anarchist tradition and also informs the socialist tradition as well. And I think markets are a form of direct action if you use them to your advantage and with Bitcoin, you have the ability to change some of those market incentives. And so now you can do that without asking for permission to do that, without waiting for a government to do that. And I think that's that's really, really powerful and really important. Cool. Yeah. Uh, actually, I heard that, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was around the beginning or middle of last year, Jude. Uh, sent some papers to the White House that they were asking about information about the impact of Bitcoin, right, uh, in mm-hmm. in the environment. 
and uh, but before talking about the uh, environment environmental aspect um uh, you i think you also mentioned that um uh you also send like the proposition of the the of the value the social value of bitcoin right so and actually th that was one thing that i was talking about with uh natalie smolensky uh, a couple weeks ago uh, because that was the first time that actually I heard the the word value in society, in society, and uh, so how can you explain uh, what is the social value of Bitcoin? Okay, so basically, <laughs> tough one. This is, this is a big question. I was. <laughs> Sorry, what is so? What is the social value of Bitcoin? value to me is very subjective it's i might you know it's like that phrase one man's trash is another man's treasure mm -hmm. it's that's i think that's what value is it's i might think that watching cat videos on youtube is stupid and a waste of time and a waste of electricity to store all those videos on hard drives all over the world you know uh, but somebody else they might say like no I, if I don't have these cat videos, I don't have a reason to live, right? You know, so that, <laughs> that's, they value that much higher than than I do in that in this scenario. Although I, I do like videos of cats, I'll be honest, they're cute. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's you know, value is subjective. So, uh, convincing somebody that Bitcoin has value it can, can be challenging because they may not see what the value is. They, they've never mm -hmm. been in a situation where they've had to worry about a government confiscating their money. No, they're not going to see the point. I think people in the West in particular are very privileged that they've never had to experience something like that or experience hyperinflation. You know, I think that if they did, they would really understand that it's really important to have a monetary system where you can store your money and not have to worry that somebody's going to take it away from you because money really does make the world go around. And if you don't have your money, if you don't have money right now, I mean, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. So I think um, it's hard to, to get, people to convince them unless they've experienced something like that or they really studied Bitcoin. But on the other hand, I think that it's really important to ask whether it matters that you don't see any value in Bitcoin, but somebody else does. Because why should it be that just because you don't value an, an object um, that another person who does shouldn't be able to use it because you don't value it you know and i think that is uh, one of the problems in this all this discourse is like you know it goes back to the cat scenario the cat videos like it's like me saying okay well i hear what you're saying you're saying that that you can't live without these cat videos but i don't care about them i think it's a waste of energy i think having all those data stations centers filled with cat videos is a total waste and why are you know why are we allowing 
I don't, I think energy can be used for something else, you know? And, and I, you know, it's the same thing for Bitcoin, you know, it's, it's like, you really don't, I don't think you have a right to say whether that energy can or should be used for Bitcoin. So I think that's the whole social value um, problem around Bitcoin is it's okay if you don't find any value in it. The problem is it's not okay for you to say that the people who do shouldn't use it. Mm. So totally, totally agree because um, I was talking with John Dennehy. I don't know if you know him. He's, he's the one that is making uh, the Bitcoin diploma in my country. There's the Pelvin. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and uh, we were discussing about this and uh, he told me, and I'm agreed, that he says that the Bitcoin evolution uh uh, it will grow the the adoption in small areas or small countries just like my country right even mm -hmm. in el salvador it all started with el sante the capital that it was like a really poor community and then the, they adopted bitcoin and well it's a long story but by by the time uh they saw the result they saw a uh, uh, growing economy in the bitcoin circular economy right so i'm totally agree because uh i think uh that that population so the real value of bitcoin and as you said that you you won't see what it's capable capable of if you don't need need it per se or during a privileged position right so and i think it's it's really important uh the what bitcoin can can offer to us but um, I forgot I was going to ask you, do, do you have a response from the White House? And what was it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we did. We did. So we, yeah, we wrote up this 10-page report and submitted it to the White House last year. And then I think Troy, Troy Cross, who is also a fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute, and he and I, we work very closely together on the energy research stuff. Um, he did speak with one of the people who is on that whole committee who they, that put together the report. So they've had a few back and forths about it. But unfortunately, I don't think they cited our report in the final document that they released. But we did influence it a little bit. They did admit that there were some positives to Bitcoin, which is really a first. And also, I think, alas, <laughs> because it seems that the Democrats are very much opposed. And there's, you know, even Republicans in Texas right now are trying to pass legislation to limit the amount of participation in the demand response programs that Bitcoin miners can do. So, yeah, it's a very, very hostile environment right now. But we did get at least a, a private response. Yes. Okay. Well something is something <laughs> yeah. and uh, okay so I think going further and maybe speaking a little bit uh, about climate climate change I, I don't want to ask you right away about Bitcoin and that before that I think it's important to ask you what are the the main focus that uh, climate activists are 
fighting right now. Not not the political way, not the what the agenda says, but what are the main concerns on these days? For climate activists? Yeah. Mm, well, I think they're still the same as before. It's just there's <laughs> less time than before because little has changed. I think, you know, Greta Thunberg, she started doing her climate strikes, school strikes when she was 15, I think. She's mm. maybe 20 now. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's 20. And not much has changed since she started. Mm -hmm. he, you know, they, they, I, saw, I read an article, an interview with her, maybe it's already been over a year since that came out and they asked her well ha, you know ha, has there been any progress has it been positive you know have you made a difference and she said no so far we we failed because nothing has changed so there's really nothing to celebrate at right now because we have not gotten governments to to take it seriously so there's still it's still really about trying to get the government to take climate change seriously, to really listen to what the scientists are saying, to read the IPCC reports, because I don't think that they actually are <laughs> reading them. And in some cases, I'm not even sure if they're reading the, the IPCC reports that are summarized for the policymakers, which are shorter reports. And, and, and even, you know, they're designed to make it easier for them to understand the main conclusions from all the research that goes into the IPCC studies, which are extremely comprehensive and take, you know, they take eight years to put those reports together. I think it's about eight years. And they go through thousands of documents. They have to assess all of the models that are out there and, and then, you know, put these you know, these ranges of certainty or uncertainty on what's likely to happen. These are, you know, we have to take that seriously. There is a really big risk. So, yeah, the the, the politicians still are not listening. That's the bottom line. So climate activists have to find a way to get them to listen. Climate activists also are saying, you know, we want system change, not climate change. So need to come up with a way to create that system change, which is within that um, area is where I think Bitcoin is useful. The other thing climate activists I've, I've start, I'm starting to see is uh, more climate activists going after the banking system, which I think is really important and, and, a, and a key component that I myself realized a little bit earlier than them sorry than some of them <laughs> some of the leaders i would say you know the more prominent ones like bill mckibben but i feel that they're still missing a solution or a tool to that which is to utilize bitcoin as a form of protest as a way to move your value or your money out of the banking system into basically being your own bank or creating community banks with bitcoin that are you know you know self-custodied or custodied within the community itself and taking responsibility for your your life really i think is is going to be a really important part of climate activism going forward is we have to start creating these communities that are really living what we want to see in the future 
or the way we want society to, to be. And it, it's not easy. It's really easy for me to say that we have to do that, but it's very hard to, to do, but we really have to start moving in those directions, I think. So I think climate activists, the climate movement at some point has to face reality in the sense that you're fighting against a system that is entrenched and a society that is built entirely on fossil fuels. Our entire civilization, where we got from the 1950s globally to the present is a result of cheap fossil fuels, fossil fuel derived energy, fossil fuel products, plastics, petrochemicals, medicines, our clothes, our homes, you know, everything fossil fuels touches in our in our lives. And we have to think about that and, and realize it's going to be really, really hard to get government to break away from that if that is what we need to do. If the if the science the results, the conclusions from the scientific studies and the modeling all say that we have to reduce or at some point eliminate entirely our reliance on fossil fuels, then this requires us to start creating areas in society that don't rely on them. And I, I think markets and Bitcoin all play a role in that because we have to create these these new ways of being. And and to be clear, I'm not advocating for markets to be part of all aspects of our life. I, I don't actually believe that that should be the case, but they do have a role and Bitcoin has a role. Anything that can be used as a tool from the bottom up, from the grassroots level to create change has to be considered. And climate activists, need to to realize that but we have the challenge which is the thing that i'm working on which is trying to get them to see that bitcoin isn't bad for the environment isn't going to kill us you know it's not going to make climate change worse we can get them my fellow climate activists over that hump i think things will be very exciting and hopeful yeah so that is a continuation of basically the next question that I'm going to ask you. And I, I know that thousands of people, maybe not thousands, but a lot of people may ask you. And uh, also I I get this question because I think it's one of the uh, myths, the main myths of Bitcoin and is that Bitcoin is bad for the environment, right? So uh can you explain to our audience that maybe they are getting into Bitcoin uh, and they are not that deep in the rabbit hole why this is not true? There's just a lot of... Well, the media has done a very good job of presenting Bitcoin as a demon, basically as this evil, really evil thing that's going to destroy the planet. Part of it is because there's been some really bad research done. And unfortunately, once something like that is published, it's really hard to erase 
the impact that it had initially. People will remember it. And even if later on it turns out it wasn't true. And I think I had a I have a friend who is uh he has a PhD in science education. Mm-hmm. And he told me once that if somebody learns something, learns how to do something the wrong way, it's you can't really erase that. They have to basically learn the right way, but but it doesn't just it's not like a one-to-one replacement. It's like it takes it takes longer to to undo what you learn, basically. And I think that's the same thing with I mean, it it applies in the same way to if you learn first that Bitcoin is bad, it's going to take a lot more effort to undo what you learn and to show to prove that it's actually something that could be beneficial. So that's part of the problem. We're we're really behind on all that, all the the misinformation and the bad research that was done originally. There's a there's been papers that have claimed that Bitcoin is going to all on its own warm the planet within a decade to to two degrees Celsius, totally based on really bad methodology, even even countered in the journals themselves, where other researchers have said, this is crazy, this is not possible. This paper is totally wrong. But even papers like that still get cited in news articles or or other uh, research that environmentalist groups do and and how do you how do you get past that? You know, it's really hard. But the main, I guess what you're asking is, what's the truth about <laughs> about Bitcoin mining and, and its yeah. kind of impact? You know, I think the the truth is is that it's complicated, right? It's a nuance, just like everything else in society. Everything has a carbon footprint. Anything that you add to the electrical grid could potentially bring on more fossil fuels in the short term. The question is, in the long term, is that particular type of load or demand that you bring onto the grid, is it going to make it easier for you to bring on renewables later on or support Mm -hmm. a renewable energy-based electrical grid? I think that there is enough evidence that because Bitcoin mining is a very flexible load in the sense that it can turn on and turn off within seconds. And if you, you can take it off, uh, like you can you can power it down almost 97%, I think somewhere around there, and you will not have any negative effect on the network. I think that is a really important point about why Bitcoin mining and why Bitcoin isn't bad for the planet because as you add more renewable variable renewable energy, which is which which would be solar and wind, as you put more solar and wind onto the electrical grid, it becomes harder for the grid operators to manage it on the supply side, which is how they always used to do it. So you have to manage things on the demand side. And if you can power down something that um, that requires a lot of energy, a lot of electricity, at times where there's an emergency or there's peak demand and the generation power plants can't meet that demand, you suddenly have a really fantastic, very flexible tool that can release that power back when it's needed. 
So it's like, it's like, a, it's like a grid insurance in that regard. It's like, it's there, it's, it's paying for this power to exist. And then it returns it when you actually need it. So it's kind of like peak your plants in a way where like peak your plants get paid to just exist. They're also like a grid insurance. They just exist. They're there. They're not operating. Maybe they operate like 15% of the time during the year. Mm -hmm. Right. But they're still getting paid because if you didn't pay them, who would maintain that operation in the downtime when it's not needed? You know, you have to make sure that it's going to be ready for that one moment when you need it. And it may only be 15% of the time. Mm -hmm. But in that 15%, it was essential to have that available. And so it's kind of the same idea. You have to pay for these things. It's just inevitable that you have to pay to to maintain this this reserve power somehow so in that sense you know bitcoin is good because it it helps on the on the monetary costs makes the i think it makes that aspect more efficient reduces the cost for the grid operators so I think in that regard, it's good. And demand response programs have also been shown to be uh, be helpful in reducing carbon emissions for the electrical grid. They can, uh, you know, because they also make it easier to bring on renewable energy, like I said. So in that aspect, that's, that's good. The other aspect is that you can create a revenue floor with Bitcoin mining by co-locating it with solar farms or wind farms. And we're really starting to see that happen now. Saluna Holdings, which is uh, a, they're, uh, they're, they're like a, a, a data center kind of company, mm -hmm. but their main focus is right now is using Bitcoin mining in their data centers. And so what they do is they target um, these these solar farms or wind farms that are not meeting their revenue expectations or they don't have enough off takers for their excess power for whatever reason, mm -hmm. or they're not able to make use of all of the tax breaks that they could be getting because they're running a renewable power plant. By integrating Bitcoin mining, uh, co you know, co-located, which means like off the grid, getting a certain percentage of that power from that renewable generator, mm -hmm. that renewable uh, power plant is able to meet its revenue needs and its payback on its return on investment. You know, all that is really important. This is, these are market systems. This is, you know, a market society. It's a, it's a for-profit thing. And you have to find a way to make it so that the renewable energy plants don't, you know, go bankrupt basically. And Juan, you maybe it's not clear but solar farms and wind farms will all in the same region they will all produce power at the same time so not not wind and solar like wind and solar tend to produce power at different times but like if there's five solar farms all in the same region they will all produce the same amount of solar at the same exact time so it becomes like a very an almost perfect com perfectly competitive market which inevitably is going to drive down the prices. So how do you sustain that, right? How do you sustain that? It's hard. So you need you need some way to do that. And Bitcoin is one way to do that, to create that revenue floor. And so again, 
that goes back to like the whole conversation about markets and not, you know, and being like an anti-capitalist and being pro markets, but also, you know, recognizing that you need markets as a tool to change the incentives. You can do that with Bitcoin mining. You're, you're changing the incentive structure through the market system and in a very grassroots way that doesn't require uh, government intervention, doesn't require new regulation, doesn't require new subsidies. I think that's really cool um, and very and very innovative and clever and should be commended uh, uh, because that is going to help us with the renewable energy transition. The third the third one, and then I think that'll wrap up the, this question. Sorry, you know, it's really no, a really no, long no. answer. But it's important to know one, about this. Yeah. The third part is on the methane mitigation side. Which you know, there's there's some tricky things here. It's also against uh, again a, a nuanced discussion, and requires more research. But basically, the idea is, you have a lot of a lot of methane going up into the air that isn't being captured. It's being vented, and it it happens at landfill sites or agricultural sites. You know, these are they have a these sites are these waste sites are pretty significant portion of human caused methane emissions and if there's human methane like humans create methane emissions through um, our civilization and all of the infrastructure that we have and the requirements we have to sustain it and then there's you know there's methane emissions that are just natural part of the the cycle the life cycle of the planet mm -hmm. but we have these emissions from landfills you know livestock farms and they're not being captured and so that methane goes into the atmosphere and over a 20-year period methane is like um, 87 or 84 times more potent in its warming effect than carbon dioxide and in the in the last ipcc reports the scientists concluded that methane is playing a bigger role than we realized in warming the planet so we have to address methane mitigation as well as carbon dioxide mitigation. And mitigation just means reducing those emissions. Mm -hmm. So one way you can do that is capture it, combust it in, uh, in a generator and power some Bitcoin miners. What comes out of it is still CO2. You still have carbon dioxide entering the atmosphere. But in comparison in the short term, that is going to be a lot less uh, impactful and what that means is that it can buy us a little more time for the energy transition and for bringing on direct air capture and other um, carbon capture systems carbon capture storage systems right so the idea is let's let's buy ourselves some time let's be real about the situation that we're in it's not the ideal situation where people are going to cooperate and governments are going to co cooperate and everybody's just going to do the right thing. It's not, that's not what's happening. And we have to face that reality. So we have to do some things in the short term that will reduce those emissions and at, at least reduce the immediate impact of those emissions so that we have enough time to address them in a more permanent way. So in that sense, if you put set up some Bitcoin miners on a landfill site, you are incentivizing the ability to build up that 
uh, electric infrastructure that otherwise would not have been incentivized. And then you are able to mitigate the methane on at that site or at a livestock waste site. And you have a net benefit here in the sense that one, you're reducing those methane emissions. And two, in the, in the future, uh, you can then do other things with that infrastructure, right? It doesn't require Bitcoin to be there forever. Bitcoin miners could go someplace else. Mm-hmm. Or Bitcoin could just you know disappear at some point, but you would still have that infrastructure. And then what do you do with that infrastructure? You know, there is a company called Vespine that is using Bitcoin in exactly this way, where they're trying to use it to incentivize the build out of the infrastructure that's required, and then they're going to to use it for electric vehicle chargers. So I think that's mm-hmm. that's really cool. So mm-hmm. we we need to see that there's actually really cool creative bottom-up solutions we don't have to defer to the powers that be we can find these solutions ourselves we can solve climate change ourselves and we don't have to sit on the sidelines and pray that the government does the right thing we don't have to and i think because of that you know, because these are all good things that Bitcoin can do and in a lot of ways is already starting to do. It can give you hope that you have some power to change society and to change the direction that we're going in. So that's why I think Bitcoin is actually not what people, you know, what is written about it in the news. You know, I think it's a a much more different story, a much more hopeful one too. Well, wow, that that I think it's one of the best answers ever I heard <laughs> about <laughs> about that. And uh, yeah, while while you were explaining this, I was thinking that um, maybe people uh, or of the audience will be thinking, okay, uh, yeah, th- this is this is true, but also with companies or their have the money to develop these technologies and uh, or even the case in El Salvador that uh, we're going to implement the uh, the volcano bonds that uh, we're going to use the remaining energy of the volcanoes to to mine bitcoins uh, but that's a project from from the government but I don't know if you can give us like an example of I don't know maybe whatever in the world but like on a small community that are if if there is the case that are mining bitcoins are and are you seeing uh renewable energies or maybe um uh not renewable but uh remain energy of any kind uh and use that to mine bit- bitcoins and maybe they are not that impactful uh but even it's it is not impactful because I think it's like less than one percent, right? And mining in Bitcoin or so. Correct me if I'm wrong. But that, that was the question. <laughs> so are communities my are there smaller communities mining bitcoins? I don't know. Maybe if like um there are small communities mining Bitcoin and uh, but they don't have like um like like there are not companies doing this like just like miners in this community doing this i know in costa rica they've been looking into this um oh. they have 
a waste treatment plant that they would like to convert, I think, or add some Bitcoin miners to. Mm-hmm. For a while, they were trying to mine with a vegetable oil, used vegetable oil that they were collecting from local restaurants. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how profitable that was. I think there were some challenges, but they were, they did successfully uh, run, run a pilot of it. And then I know somebody who actually went there in person and, and saw it. So I definitely can say it, 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 it did at least happen at some point. I don't know if they're still operating those miners. I think they were using S9. So I think some people might have donated some equipment to them to be able to do it. Okay. So, you know, that that's that I do know. In Kenya, it's not really like a city or a community that's doing it, but there is a company called Gridlist. Mm-hmm. And what they're trying to do is they're working with grid operators, these like mini grids, and saying, okay, you've got these mini hydro plants that you're setting up, but the community that surrounds it still needs time to, to connect to it. They need time to actually buy the electronics, you know, like a refrigerator or whatever, lights, uh, maybe something for a, a local hospital. And so in the meantime, while the local community is trying to get caught up with the fact that there is now electricity available to them, they can use Bitcoin miners to be to incentivize the existence of that base load. So they get paid by running these miners, right? They get the the block reward and that is their revenue stream. And that Gridless says that that will also reduce tariffs so that it will be easier for people to afford this electricity as well. So that's one other community sort of like community oriented project that I know of, but it's a company that's doing it. There's also, oh, there's a guy named Obi, and I forget his last name, but he invested in Gridless and also founded uh, Fediment. And so he's mm-hmm. trying to develop these really interesting like Bitcoin village projects that would incorporate the mining side with the wall, you know, with actually, you know, with the circular economy aspect and an educational aspect to try to create these kind of like pioneer Bitcoin towns on the continent in Africa. So mm. I'm, I'm really hopeful that, that that takes off and and we start seeing more of that, which would be really cool. But I don't know too many places that are on the community scale mining Bitcoin right now. Mostly, mm. mostly like individual people kind of randomly show up at places <laughs> and set up miners, you know. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, I'm really conscious. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Sorry, oh, sorry. Oh, I wanted to think. Uh, people, there's lots of people, home miners, like people who just set up a miner at their home. They do that. Like they'll get an S9 and they'll set it up, and then they are capturing the waste heat, and then they're using that, uh-huh. you know, plugging that into their boilers to heat their water, or to heat their, you know, plugging into the vents to heat their home when it's cold, or to heat their jacuzzi. You know, really, really cool, very creative stuff that home miners are doing but that's more like individuals i would say yeah but that was sort of my, my question so it was yeah cool. sorry <laughs> yeah, was, i'm glad i okay. remembered that part yeah 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 <laughs> so no what i was telling you is that i'm really conscious of our time so i think uh, 15 minutes are, are we good 
can we do it? Mm-hmm. 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, uh, I was going to, well, I want to ask you something really funny, but before that, uh, I was talking to you before this, the podcast started that, uh, and this is not related to Bitcoin guys, but <laughs> I'm a fan of this, so I have to ask just, <laughs> just because. <laughs> uh that you're a fan of rogue one of star wars how can you maybe give me give me a give us a a little short story what is your passion and uh about rogue one or star wars or both <laughs> yeah i've been a, a star wars fan for quite a long time i think since the seventh grade i think mm-hmm. i i went i i so i knew <laughs> I've always been a little bit of a contrarian. So when other people found things popular, I never wanted to do it. Um, so I there was a period where a lot of people, a lot of kids like Star Wars. I was like, uh, I don't, I'm never going to watch that. That's dumb. And then one day I decided to watch the old, you know, the original trilogy. And I, you know, checked out the videos and sat by myself in front of the screen and was like whoa this is amazing this is so but, good i was so into it but you're, you're yeah. really fun of jean Urso, right so so do you I feel am, yeah related with her or yeah she was really cool i mean she was like the first i think star wars female star wars character aside from leia but who was really yeah. a central component in the story and she was tough and she was cynical and you know she went through this whole personal struggle losing her her parents and then mm-hmm. you know all of a sudden she's back in contact with her dad he sends her this important message about how he, he's planted this secret weapon in the death star you know and you see the, her the evolution of her character and she's she's tough you know she's she becomes a rebel reluctantly but then she becomes this really important Part of the rebellion where she really embraces it and lives that experience and and realizes you know and has this really you know the famous line rebellions are built on hope and it's like i rebel you know like so important mess such like an important message to to stand up for what you believe in and to fight for it and to rebel when necessary so i think that really really resonated for me when i saw the movie and I've watched it several times since then. And when I decided to do more about Bitcoin, like really start writing about it, I was worried about people, you know, what uh, what people would think at the university or uh, other people in the climate because of everything we talked about, you know, Bitcoin has a really bad image, a very toxic image right now. Mm-hmm. So I needed a persona. <laughs> And I and I mm. thought of Genurso, mm. so I took on Genurso as my persona, my anonymous persona online. So, yeah, that's, cool. that's how I became Genurso <laughs> <laughs> because of Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, have you seen uh, the the Mandalorian? I've I've watched the first season. I'm a little bit behind. I just finished the obi-wan kenobi series oh, and i really cool liked it yeah. yeah i really liked it i was always i'm like a big fan of ewan mcgregor as obi-wan so mm-hmm. i realize i'm a little bit biased but you know whatever yeah. i really enjoyed it uh, it was really nice to see his character arc as well because 
you know, some people complain like the it didn't really add much to the I guess like to the whole story in the big scheme. But I think it was really important to see how Obi Wan was affected by everything that happened and that in that internal struggle that he had, and and he really really suffered like he felt like mm-hmm. a failure. He couldn't even he couldn't. He couldn't be a Jedi. Like he, I think he was ashamed and had a lot yeah. of trauma that he had to work through. And I think that was really nice to see on screen and added a lot of a lot to who Obi Wan was. And when you get to you know, when you hope you know, you have all now you have all this understanding of who he was and mm-hmm. what happened to him after after Anakin went to the dark side and. The, the rise of the empire and the destruction of the jedis you know yeah 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 absolutely yeah I, I was asking you that because uh i have a friend uh maybe you know her lena Seich. she's the the one that makes the, the little holder and, and she's the the little hodler <laughs> and, oh yeah uh, yeah yeah and uh she came to the podcast and we were we discovered that we also were passionate for star wars but in particular for for uh, baby Yoda. That's why I was. Asking oh yeah, you. the child. Uh, the child, exactly. <laughs> the child. So, yeah, and yeah. Uh, who it, doesn't like Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda is so cute. Yeah, so that, that's why I'll tell you that you should watch Mandalorian because it's so cool. It's really cool. <laughs> I know. It's. Yeah. I just got really busy with my research at the university, and I have a lot yeah. of time, so I have a little more free time now, and I'm trying to get caught up. But I think <laughs> I'm going to watch uh andorin is that the one uh-huh, the, the rogue one? Yeah. yeah yeah andor uh i'm I'm watching that one next because a lot of bitcoiners on twitter have said it's really good and i yeah, guess it's really the, good. the ending is really good and I, it sounds like there's some overlap there with how bitcoiners view the world so yeah that's on the next one on my list absolutely Watch list, yeah Okay, okay. <laughs> I will I will ask you in a in a couple of, of weeks about that. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh just I think uh we're going to wrap it up, but uh uh I think and hopefully we'll have a, a second episode because there's much to discuss because Bitcoin mining it has a lot of topics. But uh I want to ask you about uh the recent campaign of the Greenpeace camp, the Greenpeace campaign. We need, I think, we need to talk about the school of Satoshi. <laughs> and what are your thoughts about it? And why do you think uh, uh, were Greenpeace mistakes in that campaign? Besides that, they didn't care about or bother to read the Bitcoin white paper because if not, they will know that <laughs> you can't you can't change the code. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, Skull of Satoshi was, I mean, it was a cool art project. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, it was good. It, it, the Bitcoin community really embraced it. And that we was adopted. cool. <laughs> you co opted it. Yeah. No, we adopted it. We adopted it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a lot of Skull Satoshi merchandise out there now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, you know, Greenpeace, yeah, they don't understand. How Bitcoin works, you know, understand how the community works, the process works. You already have a process for changing the code. You know, you can submit a BIP. That's a, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a Bitcoin improvement protocol. Oh gosh, but anyway, they're called BIPs, and you can submit them mm-hmm. through GitHub, I think, and 
there's already a community that reviews these BIPs and decides, you know, which ones make sense. And you can have a whole discussion. You can go in there and argue for why Bitcoin should do a hard fork and, and use proof of stake instead of proof of work. But, you know, the other thing that Greenpeace doesn't seem to realize is that there's already a hard fork of Bitcoin that is Bitcoin proof of stake. <laughs> so it's already been done. Nobody uses it. And that's kind of the point is like, just because you change the code and create a different Bitcoin that is now a proof of stake Bitcoin doesn't mean that people are going to choose to use it. You can't force anyone to use it. It's not like, you know, there's still technically, I think there's still like a fork of Ethereum that is proof of work. It's, it's still there, but you know, the community consensus with them was like, yeah, we're going to do proof of stake and they have a leader, they have Vitalik in, and it's a little bit different. It's much more top down. They basically punish people yes. if they don't participate in the right way, right? So, but with Bitcoin, you can't do that. There's no CEO, there's no founder, there's no top down authority. If the community doesn't see a point in using proof of stake, they're not going to use it. And the, since there's already a fork of Bitcoin that is proof of stake, and the community doesn't want to use it, then this you just this then this campaign is doomed to failure from inception, and Greenpeace doesn't understand that, or they, or they do and they just don't care. I really don't know. Uh, but their campaign is totally worthless, and yeah. they've wasted five million dollars or however much they've actually put in to going after Bitcoin. And they promote a lot of stuff that isn't true. Like there was a tweet recently about uh, the the gas plant in upstate New York, this over at Seneca Lake, where Get Greenwich is mining Bitcoin off of uh -huh. natural gas. And they they made a tweet about it, and they're like, "This is why we need more regulation and more laws." And it's like actually there were al there's already enough regulation and laws in the state of New York. You don't have to do anything more. You didn't even need to pass that moratorium. You could have told, you could have denied the air permits to Greenwich without it. And they did. And so, you know, now Greenwich is appealing and that lets them operate for now. But there was already a court ruling on a, on a couple of natural gas plants and that were denied permits. And the court, the, it was like the Supreme Court in New York, the state Supreme Court, denied uh, i mean sided with the state with the department of environment conservation and said they have the authority to deny these permits so i think it's an uphill battle for greenwich that i don't think they're going to win so yeah it's like you don't seem to even they don't even seem to understand the, the laws how they work in these states and they're waging a campaign that is just makes them look really dumb, I think. But it, I mean, it enforce it's like reinforcing to them, right? Like they think, like yeah, Bitcoin's bad. We're doing the right thing. So it's like a self reinforcing thing within their mind. But for anyone who's paying attention, it just looks really sad. <laughs> mm, yeah, so, that's, yeah, that's true. Greenpeace, uh, you look sad. <laughs> You're sad. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be actually, much better if they just talked with us, you know, and just. 
learn how the community works, right? Mm, it's really nice. like a, you know, it's like, it's like an empire that goes into another country and is like, it doesn't care how your society operates. It's like, you're just going to do it the way we want it now. And we mm -hmm. don't care that mm -hmm. there's a better way. Or we don't care that you guys can figure it out on your own. You're going to do it our way now. And you don't have a choice. You know, it's kind of like the same kind of mentality. It's very top-down, authoritarian approach. Yeah, I agree. Just totally opposite from the from the way Bitcoin works. Mm. Yeah, yeah, to totally agree. But the good side of this story is that we adapt to school of Satoshi, and we love it. So I think it's cool. So <laughs> thank you for give giving that to our, to our community because it's really amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be... It, it's one of the cooler Bitcoin art pieces I've ever seen. So actually, yeah. yeah. And uh, okay, so I think I'm going to uh, make you just do the, the two last questions, and uh, that's it. Uh, and uh, so one of them is um, how realistic do you think is to scale this up the renewable energy and Bitcoin mining? Do you think it's possible and what are the main challenges to to do that yeah i mean it's possible to scale it up i just don't know what the effects would be you know what would be the external effects of that uh, okay. on the the network what would be the price effect the hash rate the energy use uh, i i don't know what you know if you know is there enough hardware even to meet that that requirement mm -hmm. We still have to do a lot more research to understand okay. what that that would mean but it is possible and okay. could you repeat your the last part of that question uh what are the main challenges to oh yeah to yeah i mean the main the main challenges are really uh well one of the main challenges is a political challenge the political will in the sense like government doesn't have to do anything they just have to just let it happen but right now, politicians want to do things to make it harder to mine Bitcoin, especially in the United States. So that's one of the big challenges is getting politicians to realize that they should just leave the industry alone and let it do its thing, let it run its course. The other challenge is what I said is like, we have to figure out, you know, how much does the scale what are the requirements for the network to be able to allow that to scale? Because it would, it would mean that the Bitcoin price would have to go up for one thing, because you would need to have room for the hash rate to grow. And then the other thing is, like, okay, uh, would only renewables be coming online? Would they be competing with another uh, type of mining? And what would that do for the profitability? So all that has to be considered and modeled, I think. And I'm trying to work on that kind of modeling so that we can have those answers. They're really important to have. Okay, okay. And uh, the last question is, uh, what are your goals for this year for you? What are your personal goals? And uh, where, can you, where can people stay up to date with your, with your work? And uh, I know you have family from Mexico, so if you can say the last part in Spanish, just for fun. <laughs> and oh, to practice man. Spanish. <laughs> I'll practice my Spanish, yeah. Okay, let me see. Okay, my personal <laughs> goals are to uh, really 
advance the research side. So I, I've been working on a number of research questions, just starting to develop them. So I'm on leave from the university right now, and I'm trying to change my thesis to be Bitcoin energy environment related. There's a whole backstory on that, but I won't go into it now because it's too long. Uh, there, In another episode, guys. about it. Yeah, I have a Twitter thread about it, you know, from I think a few weeks ago. But anyway, uh, yeah, so that's my goal. So I'm working on the research stuff, trying to raise money to support that research because it does cost money. It's not like, you know, no one should, we really shouldn't be doing these things for free and I have to pay my bills. So uh, I have to get paid a little bit, please, <laughs> to do this work. It's really important. So I'm doing that, raising money. And I really want to see some some of this research published in in the academic journals and, and also made available to the public. So those are my personal goals. They're all Bitcoin related, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, be also maybe um, enjoy life a little bit more. <laughs> it's probably a personal goal. And uh, let's see, what can I say in Spanish? <laughs> if not, it's not a problem. <laughs> Puedes encontrarme. Mm, let's see. Uh, yeah. Mm, let's see, what do I want? Quiero estar contenta. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Quiero estar contenta. Yeah. Sí. Mm -hmm. You want to be happy. Yes. <laughs> okay, perfect. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> where people can find you? Um, Quiero the... comer mucho. <laughs> That's important. Yeah, lots of good food. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been in El Salvador, right? No, but I, but I like pupusas. Ah, you have tried. You have tasted. Pupusas, sí. Okay, I'm proud. Stay feliz. Pupusas, yeah. los pupusas son lo mejor. They are the best. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I okay. love them. They're so good. So I understand Spanish a lot more than I speak it because uh, my oh, really? grandma spoke Spanish. Yeah, so mm -hmm. you can speak to me in Spanish. So I'll just respond in English. <laughs> yeah. Next in next interview is going to be uh, la siguiente entrevista va a ser totalmente en español. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I'll, I'll get I'll get my mom to help me practice. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. 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 No, so uh, <laughs> no sé. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Make, probably she will say that. <laughs> But my mom and and grandma proud for next time. <laughs> and uh, okay, so w where people can uh, stay up to date with your work, social medias maybe, or do you have a website? Or uh, Twitter. Twitter versus okay. Yeah, okay. Jen or so. I'm. That's the best way to to find me. I'm also on Noster, which is okay. Perfect. Yeah, I'm on Noster as well. I guess I can. I'll share. I can give you my public key. You can put it yeah. in the podcast notes. Absolutely, I'm on there as well. That's those are the two best ways to find me. Send me okay. a DM, Jen okay. or so with a U, and yeah. Okay, perfect. I will. I will share I'm that at... in <laughs> in the description box below, guys. So, um, thank you very much, Margot, for being here. Thank you for your time, and hopefully to thank see you, you in a, in another episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Juan. Thanks. <laughs>
<laughs> guys. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> guys, see you next week. Ciao.